morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 499-9526. Of course, you stick a 225 in front of there. You can reach us from anywhere in the United States. That's right. And today, as usual, we are giving away our free Agco t-shirt for the farthest distance caller this morning. That is absolutely right. You just go ahead and give us a call from wherever you happen to be and tell the producer where you're calling from. And whoever calls the furthest distance will get an Agco t-shirt. And that's not just a standard old red, white, black Agco t-shirt. Oh, yeah. We're going to the send new, them. That's right. The new one. The new retro <laughs> Agco t-shirt. And that's just about the only way you can get one of those. That is. Other than if you come by the shop and yeah. beg me for one. <laughs> <laughs> or threaten me or whatever. There you go. <laughs> come spend about two grand, I'll give you one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ain't no doubt about that. That's yeah. it. That's the best way to get that. And just go ahead and give us a call. We really appreciate hearing from folks outside of the calling area. It gives us a little different perspective from people all around. Got a email from a fellow from Washington State that had called earlier in the year, and he uh-huh. finally got around to getting some photos to us. Sent me a couple of really, really pretty photographs with the mountains in the background, yeah. and Mount St. Helens in the background. So I got those online last night. Great. Really interesting. We like putting those on so other people can kind of see. And like I said, if you happen to be in the Baton Rouge area, we welcome your calls as well. That's as right. always. We got about 45 minutes here to answer your questions. At least. 55, technically. If you technically. Add the commercials back in there. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah go and give us a call. It's 499-9526, and that'll get you right straight to us. Got all our lines wide open. Good time to call. We can spend some time with you and be sure we answer your questions completely. Should you happen to miss the window this morning? That's right. Or you think of something after the show goes off or maybe during the week next week? That's right. You can always visit our website, send Lewis a question that way, and get you a good answer back. Well, that's right. It's www.agcoauto.com. Of course, stands for Altazan's Garage Company. That's right. There's a contact bar on every page. You can use the form there, which is a now an auto fill-out that's right. Form? Well, what happens when you fill it out the first time, if you have cookies enabled on your machine, it will ask you, would you like to retain this information? And if you hit yes, then it will store your name and your email address and the type of car that you drive and those sorts of things. So the next time you go to send us one, you don't have to fill all that out again. That's great. It that's pops lot, up right on the screen. That's a lot of information to fill out every oh, time. Oh, it is. Having to type in an email address, and if you're lucky and you got a fairly short one, that's great. But a lot of email addresses are pretty long. Uh-huh. And you have to key all those figures in. you got to do it twice, once to put it in, once to kind of check yourself. Right. So it makes it just a whole, whole lot easier for folks, and that's why we had that feature added. And, of course, if you don't want to use it, or let's say you don't have cookies enabled on your machine, then you right. won't be able to use it. And if you ever go in and clear the cookies off your machine, of course, it will be gone. But sure. you can go back the next time, just tell it, okay, add it again, and it'll put it right back in again for you. So it's not anything intrusive or anything that's going to clog your machine up or anything. Right. And those actually are set to expire after one year. So if you don't return within a year, it kind of auto-destructs. Okay. just deletes itself. It has a date, and your machine checks it. And when it gets to one year, it will automatically take it off. And then you can put it back in again the next time around. There you go. So it makes it real easy. But while you're on there, pop around, see what you think. Lots and lots of good information. I put an article on there this morning, which is the first of a two-part article on wheel alignment. Uh huh. And this is not just another wheel alignment show. Of course, this is no news to you because you do this every day. But right. This goes into the aspects of dynamic wheel alignment, which is something that folks don't think an awful lot about. What most shops even, when they do a wheel alignment, they think, well, I'm aligning the car and this is it. But what you are setting is static wheel alignment. Correct. Now, if the car is engineered properly as it should and everything is right, setting static wheel alignment will bring about dynamic wheel alignment. For instance, when you're rolling down the road, it's not the same as sitting on that alignment machine. Exactly. Because, number one, wind is running over the car, it's pushing the car down, so the ride height is different. 
So the cambers that you set in static alignment achieve the proper dynamic cambers if everything is right. The problem is when something goes wrong, for instance, someone changes the wheel offset or maybe they change the height of the vehicle. Well, now when you set the static alignment perfectly, the dynamic alignment is off. And so the car continues to wear tires even though static alignment was set properly. Uh-huh. And that's what this article goes into. And this week's article tells you a little bit about what kinds of things change and how they change and why you have to do this. Next week will be a little bit more on some of the other aspects of dynamic alignment, how to diagnose some of the problems yourself. And real good article for folks who have a car that they've had the front end line maybe once, twice, three, four times. Still have tire wear. Still have tire wear and just can't figure it out. Be a good article to read and see what you think. Right. Give it a chance. I think you'll really like it. www.agcoauto.com. I believe you'll have a good time with it. Let's go to our phone lines. We have got Mike's been patiently holding. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Lewis. How y'all doing? Doing good great, morning. sir. Man, I want to thank y'all. Y'all saved me a lot of money over the years. Well, good. Thank you, sir. I got a question. I got two questions for you, really. I'm on my I got an 01 Tundra six-cylinder. Yes, sir. Back a while, while back during the hurricane, went through some kind of areas that were underwater. Yes, sir. And it seemed like well, about a week after that, it sounded like my universal joints were like, they must have got wet or whatever. Yeah, they will. Uh-huh. And we're making noise. Mm-hmm. So I took it to the dealer, and he looked at it and said, hey, man, it looks fine. I don't see anything wrong with it. I got 181,000 miles on it. Yeah. And there's no way to grease those. That's there's no correct. On that. that is correct. Mike, when they start making noise, greasing them would be futile. They are damaged at that point. And what happens, a lot of people who just don't think real deep, what they do, they grab the dry shaft, and they move it in and out. and say, well, there's no slack in it. Okay, well, the U-joint could be completely froze up and have no slack in it. So you just need to get somebody a little bit smarter than a dealership to look at that for you. Chances are what happens, see, that propeller shaft is turning underwater when you're going down a flooded road. And, I mean, it doesn't take much. If you've got 12 inches of water on the road, that dry shaft's underwater. And it's just not designed to operate underwater. I mean, it's kind of water-resistant. Driving down a wet road, it'll resist that. But if you put the shaft underwater and turn it, what's going to happen is that water's going to leak past those seals, and it's going to emulsify the grease. When the grease is emulsified, it loses its ability to lubricate, so the rollers are going to start eating into the little trunnions and into the caps. And when that occurs, it's going to start to seize up, get tight, and all that. And the first symptom a lot of people hear is like a screech, 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 screech when you're rolling slow. The next thing you're going to notice is that you're going to start getting maybe some vibration at higher speed if you hadn't already. Pretty important to get that addressed, Mike, because as that U-joint starts to get tight, it puts a tremendous load on that drive shaft. And what you'll end up with is front bearings and rear differential tore up, rear bearings and transmission tore up, and all kinds of other really expensive problems. And to check it, what you have to do is remove the drive shaft from the truck and then physically move the joints in both planes. And you'll feel it. You'll feel it be real tight in one or both planes. But that's the only way to check it. And when it gets to that point, you have to replace the joints. There is no service on them. Yeah. And you've got to be very careful about replacing those joints as, yeah. to not, as to not mess up the drive shaft. Yeah, the old days of taking a hammer and pounding them in and out will absolutely yeah, that's, destroy that's the gone. drive shaft. There's several special tools to press them in and out with now. Well, that's the last time me and my dad did that. That's what we did. We beat them down. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. I tell you what, you'll be buying an $800 drive shaft if you try that. So go on my website, Mike. There's an article. Just go to the search bar and type in U-joint, and it's going to bring up an article. It shows you the tooling that you need. shows you how to do it and all that kind of stuff. tells you a lot more about it. But, yeah, you definitely never, ever, ever hammer on a dry shaft. Number one, most of them are aluminum now, and the ones that are steel are so thin that if you hit it one time with a hammer, you're going to bend the dry shaft. Then you'll be vibrating from now on. Great. I'm going to check out your website. Okay, man.
And one last thing you on know. the uh, driver's side motor, I guess, or whatever, for the, the, the take the window up and down. Yes, sir. I don't think it's the motor because it works, but intermittently I have some problems with it going up and down, and I probably want to replace the switch first. Well, does it go down okay and kind of struggle going up? No wonder. Once it goes up, it, it's fine. It just Sometimes it just won't go up at all. Yeah, that is usually the motor, Mike. You could try jumping the switch and just see because if you get a wiring diagram, there's a couple of pins in there you can jump and operate. But what happens when the motors start to get a little older, the brushes and stuff in them get bad. They get weak. And what will happen, the way you can generally check it, run it down, run it up, run it down, run it up. And about the second or third cycle, it's going to start really struggling going back up. It just doesn't want to go up. It may stop, and then you let, you let the motor cool off, and then it'll go ahead on up. That's uh, almost always a sign of a bad motor. And is there any aftermarket okay for that kind of stuff? I've had really, really bad luck with those. We've taken a lot of those out and went and got Toyota ones and put back in. Toyota product is kind of expensive, but in my opinion, way, way, way better than what's on the aftermarket. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. Okay, Mike. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526. Number, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we're going back to the lines with David. Good morning, David. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. Good morning. How are y'all this morning? Doing great, sir. Good. I've got a question on a, I've got a 2010 F-150, 5.4, 6-speed automatic. Okay. And the dealer recommends a $300 transmission flush. No. Flush no. would be... <laughs> recommendation for No, you need to do a proper service on it, David. I got several articles on the site that show a flush, what it does, why it doesn't work, and all that. The reason shops recommend a flush is because it's extremely profitable to them. You do not need an ATEC. A C-TEC can hook a little machine up to the cooler line. He can run some clean fluid through a dirty transmission. He can do it real fast. He can make a whole lot of money. A proper service requires an ATEC because he has to know what he's doing. You got to stock a bunch of filters and all that kind of stuff. Much, much, much different service. But a flush, if you're going to do that, just don't do anything at all because you absolutely waste your money. You can't create problems. You're stirring up debris that's in the pan, and you're restricting the filter. General Motors recently came out with a bullet that says, do not flush any transmission on the car. Chrysler's got one. Some of the imports has got them. Ford, as yet, has not come out with a specific statement, but I imagine they will. But a flush does absolutely no good. And the first thing I tell you, well, it gets 100% of the fluid. No, it doesn't. It doesn't even get 50%. What bothered me was I asked them if they pulled the pad on. They said, no, we don't do that unless it's leaking. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, you know you're in the wrong place. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Call Lane Monday yeah. morning to schedule a real service. <laughs> All, right. All right. But about 30,000 miles, you would recommend a... Uh, I'd probably go about 50,000 on that because it's got synthetic fluid. It's got Mercon 5, and it's generally good for 50. Okay. All righty. All right, well, good. Thank you. Okay, David. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526. Number, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Mitch has been patiently holding. Good morning, Mitch. Good morning. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Hey, I want to thank you for finding so quick on the email. It's okay. about two hours. Whenever my friend called two dealers, and it's on a Camry, and they're saying that on the Camry, they don't do those updates. They do on the other ones. I can't understand that. Every vehicle, that's the only way to program it. Let's say the computer burns up. How are they going to program it? Because yeah. a computer comes from Toyota just blank EPROM, and you have to put the information on. So there's no such thing as don't do that on a certain car. I mean, that's just pretty much the system that we have since 1996. I would go in and see for you, Mitch. Give me another email, and I will look up and see if there are any updates for it and send you that information back. Okay. I can't understand what they're talking about because all computers have to be programmed initially when they're installed 
And whenever you change any component, you have to reprogram them. Change any major component of the car, you have to do a reprogram. And if you couldn't right. do that, you have to change the computer every time. And right. Toyota computers are about a thousand bucks, so I don't think you want to change the computer every time as an update. Yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> Why don't you send me another email? I'll look up and see if I can find some more information on it for you and send it to you. Yeah, you also mentioned about some kind of a, a filter or something on the intake manifold or cleaned it out or, or uh, because the other thing they want. Uh, yeah, I think you'd mentioned they want to do an injector cleaning or an upper intake cleaning right. or something. Yeah, 100% snake oil. That is just a way to make money. That is nothing the car needs. Look in the Toyota service manual and see if it, says, if it lists that anywhere in there. Yeah, it, 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 it does not. No, that's something that the dealer makes up. It's just one of those little machines they got they hook up. We call that a wallet flush. It's just a way for them to make money. Not anything your car needs at all. You mentioned an email, two other things you Okay, can I'll do. tell you what, I'm up against a break right now. Mitch, you want to hold on, we'll get back to it as soon as we get back. We'll take a quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. Okay, look, you've been at the Red Box for 10 minutes and you've got about 30 movies. Yeah, you roll in here with that car with the brakes screeching and the bald tires, and then you ask to cut in line because you're in a hurry. Look, it is 2012, and according to the Mayan calendar, the world ends on December 21st. So I'm trying to watch all the movies I can before then. So no car repairs either, right? Who's got time for that? Unless you believe the world will end this year, Car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. So, no car maintenance? All movies till December 21st? Yep. I'm stocking up on all the classics, too. Gone with the Wind, Citizen Kane, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Squeakwool. <laughs> I, I knew he was crazy. Yep. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? We're going to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And just before the break, we we're talking to Mitch. What was the second question, Mitch? Uh, the second question is in the email you, you mentioned about uh, cleaning a couple of their items. Uh, there is a throttle body that you can clean, and there's an airflow meter that you can clean. Both of those are very, very inexpensive services, Mitch. In fact, you could probably actually do them yourself. If you want to go online, you'll see instructions for doing them. You have to be a little careful. But both of those services combined would be less than an hour. So an average shop, less than $90 to do. And those are things that could help with that hesitation or loss of power. But I'm not real big on just going to do things on a maybe. I would rather see the car. But, I mean, since you're still under warranty, what you really need to do is kind of hold those guys' feet to the fire on that. Because a car is not supposed to lose power when you use regular ETN ethanol. A car should run just fine on that. There should be no perceivable difference. And if it does, I would just go and say, look, guys, your owner's manual says I should be able to use 10% ethanol with no problem. Why is it that every time I use it, I lose power? And I have to run all over town trying to find gas without ethanol to make my car run right. Mm -hmm. And see, that's not right. You're under warranty. You paid for that warranty. It was included in the price of the car. So it's not like they're doing you a favor or doing any big service here they're just giving you what you've already paid for so you really right. need to kind of hold your feet to the fire on that and you know what's going to happen is going to get out of warranty and then it's going to be on you yeah now they came back and said oh well it wouldn't be in the warranty anyway because the fifty thousand mile warranty is only for the drivetrain so now they're saying it wouldn't be under warranty so, well now when i mash the pedal what part makes the car go isn't that the motor 
Yeah. And isn't that part of the drive train? <laughs> <laughs> so when I'm imagining that accelerator pedal, what is pushing that car down the road? <laughs> it's the drive train. So, yeah, you're just going to have to be politely firm. I mean, getting mad and screaming and hollering is not going to get you anywhere. But I think with a little polite insistence, if you go up there and say, hey, look, I love my car. I'd like to buy my next car here. In fact, I'm thinking about buying another car. And this is going to be a factor in that decision. Don't you think you can help me with this? And if they can't, then you need to call Toyota themselves. They've got a hotline. They've got a number that's listed on the Internet. You can even go and email them if you prefer. But somebody in the Toyota organization should be able to get that problem resolved for you under warranty, I would think. Well, let's go back to our phone lines. We have got Doug's been patiently holding. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, Lewis. I have a – well, I don't have. My son-in-law and I decided we was going to change the timing belt out on a 07 Aveo, Chevrolet Aveo, okay. and we both have a mechanical background, so mm-hmm. I've got a question I want to ask you about it. When I put the timing belt on, it looks like the, the crankshaft gear is about maybe one to one and a half degrees out of uh, ahead of a uh, center, 06, 6 o'clock. Yeah, you can't really go by that, Doug. They're Many, many, many different ways to time engines. You're going to have to have a service manual that tells you how that particular one works. Some of them, there are going to be marks on the timing belt and marks on the gear. Some of them are different things. Some of them line up with different aspects on the engine. And everyone's different, and I'm just not familiar enough with an Aveo to tell you how that particular one does. Now, I can tell you this. If you do get it out of time and you crank that motor over, you can make the valves hit the pistons, in which case you'll be buying another motor. So this is not anything you can guess at. You're going to have to get service information on it, look it up, and follow it verbatim. I know some of them, two holes in the crank gear will line up with the seam and the oil pan and the engine block bolt together. Just silly stuff like that. But it doesn't follow necessarily a logical path where this one's pointing straight up and this one's pointing straight down, kind of like timing change used to years ago. Every one of them is a little different. Let me ask you something. One thing I neglected to do and I always do, is always take the number one spark plug out and make sure it's at top dead center. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And well, I didn't do that. So I'm wondering, if that's one question, can it run well at 180 degrees out of phase? Now, the second question is, he said everything's running smooth, uh-huh. but it's running hot. Does that well, yeah, the cam time is off. It's definitely going to yeah. run hot. It's going to lack power and it's going to run hot. Okay. So yeah, I may, you, you can be I a do, tooth I may, off. I may back it up. Uh, like a one and a half, the next valley over. Well, I wouldn't yeah, do that. Yeah, I'd go get service say. data and I'd look up and do it the right way because I'm telling you, you, keep playing with that. You may have gotten lucky so far, but if you hit a valves, hit the pistons, you're done. I mean, you've been buying a new we motor. Went, that's what we went by. We, we went by the service manual. Yeah. And, uh, be sure you got engine. the right service right. manual, not just. I've, I've seen those manuals be wrong. That's right. Especially those cheap ones you buy at the parts house. Right. I've seen them wrong. Yeah, what I would uh, do is probably, I'm not sure, Aveo, I think, is, was that a Suzuki engine? I think it is, yes. I would probably go by the Suzuki dealer and bring them a box of donuts and ask them if they would copy out of their data the timing procedure for you. What kind do you recommend? <laughs> Chocolate covered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or lemon filled. By, about, the best. A, about a dozen and a half, two dozen. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'll get the job done for you. But yeah, oh, if yeah. you get their service data, it's going to be much, much more detailed. Okay. And that would probably be your best bet because I'm just scared to keep moving that thing around. Like yeah. I say, you may have got lucky one time, but you keep doing it and the valves hit the pistons, you're going to have a real mess. Yeah, you're right. All right. pretty close. It is. All right. Thank you so okay, much. Okay, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Doug. All right. Bye-bye. All right. We've got to take one more quick little break. Bill and Charlotte, hang on. You guys will be straight up after the break.
Clint, what's with the huge crate? My 120-inch Platinum 3D TV. Splurging, huh? We're putting it all on the credit card, and since the Mayan calendar predicts the world ending December 21st, I'll never have to pay it back. That would explain the giraffe and elephant in your backyard. Have you thought about fixing your car, buddy? Your old one is in pretty bad shape. Leaking oil, screeching brakes. Well, my car and... can make it to December. Plus, I need money to complete my set of life-size Star Wars action figures. Yoda is an expensive one, he is. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. You know, if your car won't run, you can always ride your elephant. Great idea. Let me Google elephant license. Uh, okay, you know I was joking, right? Want to learn more about why AGCO is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, it's the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, True Tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And we're going back to our phone lines with Bill. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, sir. I have a question on a Ford pickup truck. All right, sir. You reviewed this, talked about this last month, about something particular on the Ford pickup trucks that takes the oil sending unit, and it doesn't read properly, but there's really nothing wrong with the engine. Well, the way Ford uses their all-pressure gauge, it looks like a gauge, but it's actually not a gauge at all. What it is, is a little sender, and it reads either on or off. And basically, it turns on at 3 PSI and turns off below that. Okay. So if you got 3 PSI, the gauge moves to halfway. So it looks like you got real perfect oil pressure. The gauge is sitting halfway all the time. It will stay there no matter what. If the oil pressure goes to 100 PSI, it'll stay there. If it goes to 5 PSI, it will stay there. If it drops below 3 PSI, then it'll drop to zero. So it's only a glorified off-on switch. It's not really a gauge at all. It's made to look like a gauge. Okay. Now, how do we rectify that problem if, well, if you, there is a problem? You just don't. <laughs> That's okay. the way it's designed. Well, I mean, other than replacing short, it with another gauge. Right, short of replacing the entire the real gauge, gauge with a, a mechanical one, even an electric one that and you know works. Bill, I'm not going to pick on Ford because all those knuckleheads are going to stuff like right. that. The new Chevrolet, like the Envoys and all, they're even sneakier than that. What they do is they've got the same off-on switch, but the computer actually simulates movement on it, so it looks like it's moving. I and understand. it's based on RPM, although it's not reading anything. I mean, if you go to that much complexity, why don't you just put a gauge in the blasted thing? Your opinion, <laughs> well, my opinion. That's exactly what I was recommended to my friend. That's yeah, it. I say they'd rather climb a tree and lie to you than stand on the ground and tell you the truth. Oh, that's, <laughs> you know? and, and that's why we're putting four or five engines in a week. Yeah. I understand. You know? yeah, understand. So it's kind of crazy. My instinct is correct, and I appreciate the feedback on that, because I remember you talking about it. Yes, sir. I, I said, my gosh, what was it? What was it? What was it? So now I'll yep. never forget. That's it. All right, my friend. All right, Bill. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Eight four nine 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 five two six. The number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I we would love to have you. And we have got Charlotte online. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning, fellas. How y'all doing? Doing great. We're doing great. I have a question. When I get an oil change, uh -huh. I have an 07 Sierra pickup, and okay. uh, you know it's got one hundred and sixteen thousand miles on okay. it. And the last two times they've told me I needed a high mileage oil. No. Is there anything <laughs> such as that? No, not at all, Charlotte. What that is. 
the all companies realize that a lot of folks are keeping their vehicles a whole lot longer nowadays. Mm-hmm. So what they're doing is they're just kind of hitting a little niche in the market. They say, if we write high mileage on this oil and we do this, we do that. We can sell this for a little bit more and some people are going to hit a card with them. Kind of mm-hmm. like low alcohol beer or anything else. It's just a marketing thing. That engine takes 5W30 oil mm-hmm. and it is best to stay with the same oil for the life of the engine. I don't care okay. if you've got 250,000. I've got one customer that has 350,000 miles on a Chevy Suburban. Still using the mm-hmm. same oil. Okay. You do not ever have to change oil. There's no such thing as a high mileage oil. Just use the same oil you've always used. Get it changed at a regular interval and use a good filter on it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm thinking they've been using the same weight, but, you know, the last two times I went ahead because they talked me into it saying, you know, you have yeah. over over 75000 I'm paying $10 more. That's money. ridiculous. I mean, it's the same oil. You know, okay. it, it's just something for them to sell you. Okay. Well, All right. I'm glad y'all told me that. Thank you. All right, Charlotte. Weekend. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Four nine 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 five two six number. We got all our lines wide open. Had a little rush there all of a sudden, but yep. uh, got all our lines wide open. Hey, ready for some calls? We see that all the time, mm-hmm. especially just about every day. Our vehicles will come in. The oil's been changed at A place, and next time it got changed over at Z place. Right. Every one of those people use a different brand oil. That's right. And boy, it really wreaks havoc on. Well, it certainly can. Almost any major brand of oil is going to be good. They, right. they all do the job. If they meet the API standard SN, which is the highest classification you can get right and now. That, you can turn the bottle around on the back of the bottle, that's right. and it'll be a little label right, right down about halfway. Yeah, Sam Nancy. If it says that, that's going to be the highest rating it, that available today. If it meets that, then it's going to probably do whatever you need to do, unless it calls for synthetic, in uh-huh. which case you need to use synthetic. But all this other hoopla it is just something to sell you. And while all oils are good, and most all of them are going to meet the standards, they are all slightly different in the additive packages they use. Correct. The amount of molybdenum that they put in it, the anti-foam agents, the detergents, the anti-corrosive agents, all that stuff is different. And it can start to interact when you start mixing up too many different types. Uh I've seen an engine burning absolutely no oil running on, let's say, ExxonMobil, and all of a sudden you switch over to, say, Quaker State, just to pick a name out the air. Right. And it'll start burning two quarts every thousand miles. Right. And nothing else has changed. And it's just not good to change the brand of oil. Stay with whatever brand you've been using. Now, of course, if you just buy the car, you don't know what they've been using in the past, then you just have to kind of pick one that you like and stay with it and hope right. for the best. Unless you got the information that from the owner. From the oh, previous owner. Correct. But it's always best to stay with the same brand of oil. Don't change it up because you can always bring about problems. I'm not saying you will. I'm just saying you're increasing your likelihood of problems by doing that. So it's just one more little headache you don't need. Exactly. And one that's real easy to sidestep. Hey, let's go back to our phone lines. Jeff, good morning, Jeff. Hey, Lewis, good morning. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Hey, uh, we were looking for a car from my son, and we looked at a 99 Honda CRV vehicle yesterday. Okay, sir. I'm going to open up the hood. I guess it's uh, as soon as I looked at it, and there's like a little oil dripping, like from the, I guess from the cover. Valve cover, it? yes, sir. Yeah, pretty that, common. Yeah, is that is that a big deal? Or uh, uh, it's a four cylinder. Yeah. No, four cylinder is pretty easy. Less than an hour. There's a okay. valve cover gasket, and there's also some spark plug tube seals. Yeah. Because on that one, the spark plugs go through the middle of the valve cover, and yeah. you just take the valve cover off, replace the gasket, and those four little seals, they look almost like a wheel bearing seal. They go around the spark plug tubes. Probably less than an hour in the shop, Jeff change those the only thing that would concern me how many miles are it now i think it's got 115,000 
Yeah, you might consider, because, see, when you start seeing engines, and I'm going to consider that fairly low mileage on a Honda. Mm -hmm. When you start seeing engines with fairly low mileage with all leaks, a lot of times it means all has not been changed regularly in the past. Right. So another thing, if you hadn't bought it yet, you might you not, no. pull the dipstick out and look at it real careful and see if the dipstick is nice and clean and shiny or if it's kind of dark and discolored. If that dipstick's all kind of brown and discolored, it probably hasn't gotten good oil changes in the past. Not the end of the world, but just factor that in with the price you pay for the car because you could probably expect some more oil leaks down the road. And some okay. of them can get expensive. If you know, the rear main seal starts leaking, you get into a six, $700 repair because the transmission's got to come out. Right. So, Look, can you guys usually get to like a, an inspection? Can you get to that pretty quickly? Or Unfortunately, right now, Jeff, we're running almost a two-week backlog on our work. That will get a lot better as we start to get into the winter. Yeah. Because just this summer's been brutal on us. But give Elaine a call, and she can explain to you what we can and we can't do. Okay. And I'd be glad to check it for you. I would highly recommend getting it checked before you buy it, just to make right. sure. It's, sure. Overall, it's a good car, but you want to make sure nothing's wrong with this particular car. Sure, absolutely. Okay, Alrighty. thanks, Louis. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499 the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we're going back to our phone lines with Chris. Good morning, Chris. Hey, how you doing, Louis? Doing great, sir. Got a question about the newer vehicles that are out there on the market, and mm -hmm. I'm seeing this four-cylinder turbo stuff. Yes, sir. And I'm wondering if you can comment about whether we're going to face reliability issues with that, or should I stick with a naturally aspirated engine? I'm going to tell you, Chris, a turbocharger is really good for what it's designed to do, which is give you a whole lot of power. Now, that being said, you got a lot more expensive moving parts there. That little turbo is rotating at around 10,000 RPM, and that brings about a whole other set of maintenance issues. One thing, turbocharged engines are absolutely critical to oil changes. I would not be pushing those out four or 5,000 miles. And another thing is when the turbo goes bad, it's an extremely expensive part to replace. And if it catastrophically fails and you swallow a turbo blade, you could take an engine out. If you just absolutely love the performance and that's what you want, well, that's great. That's fine. But me personally, I would not buy one. I just don't need that headache in my life. It's just one more thing. If I can buy a car that doesn't have it for the same money and get the same mileage, then I'm going to do that. The turbocharger does one thing, and that is give you more horsepower. But that's well, all I, it does. I was told years ago to stay away from these turbos. They're maintenance headaches. They are. They're a lot heavier in maintenance. The Germans actually invented turbocharging back during World War II to get their planes to where they could actually climb higher and run faster and all that. And what they do is they take the exhaust and they spin a blade, which turns basically a supercharger, which packs more air into the engine. More air means more fuel, which means more power. And they do give you more horsepower, but it's at the expense of reliability. you got a lot more moving parts, and it's a lot of high, high temperature and high RPM parts. So if you just didn't absolutely need that, I wouldn't want it. It's kind of like right. buying a four-wheel drive if you don't need it. you got a lot more moving parts, just more to break. Thank you, Lewis. Okay, man. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. 499-9526, the number if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour. And we've got Jeff online. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, guys. Hey, Good man. morning. You know, so I have a 2012 Tundra, uh -huh. 5.7. My question is really about oil changes because I don't put many miles on my vehicles. Okay. I, I bought it probably four or five months ago, and I think I just turned 2,000 miles. Wow. I do maybe four or 5,000 miles. Really low, yeah. Yeah, so you know the, the owner's manual recommends that you change oil every 10,000 miles. Now, yeah. I'm not going to go that long out. Exactly. Now. I believe it calls for synthetics. So. It does. Uh, zero, zero, zero W20 synthetic. Right. 
Well, I'll be okay changing it at 5,000 miles. It's going to be 10, 12 months. Jeff, I would forget about the miles completely on that vehicle because, see, you're under extreme service. And if you go to Toyota's schedule for extreme service, it's going to give you a whole different picture. And I would not look at miles. I would probably change that all twice a year. Okay. And I wouldn't even look at the miles. Just twice a year, once in January and once in July or whatever you pick. But just twice a year, change the oil. And you should be good. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right. All right. right, 499-9526. A number of you want to be part of the Automotive Hour. And we've got Ronnie on the line. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I have a 2008 GMC Sierra. Uh Uh-huh. And parking lights randomly come on and stay on when the car's turned off. Okay. Uh, Check the trailer wiring harness. Uh Uh-huh. The most probable cause that I found on the web. Can't find anything wrong with the wiring harness, any short mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, mechanic wants to reflash the CPU and perhaps replace the CPU. That's $500 charge. I'm wondering if I have to go that far. I'm not aware of any flash updates for that particular problem. I'm not saying there aren't any. If there is such an update, then I would probably go ahead and do the update, but that shouldn't cost anywhere. That should be $90 or less. And if that's not it, I would check and see. I'm pretty sure that vehicle uses a lighting control relay, and that lighting control relay could be sticking on you, too. I'd have to look at a wiring diagram. i got to say, Ronnie, that's not a common problem on that vehicle. But it's not it, something I've seen a lot. I almost thought it was related to the remote because I would walk outside to check on it, uh-huh. and while I was looking at it, the lights would come on. <laughs> that's strange. You know, it, you'd have to see a wiring diagram and see what things turn the lights on and under what conditions they turn the lights on. For instance, a lot of that is run through a little photocell under the dash, on top of the dash, that is called an ambient light sensor. Sure. However, when the switch is off, the ambient light, or when the key is off, the ambient light sensor should be disregarded. So it could be something that it's getting a signal it shouldn't, which does kind of go back to the ECM, but it could be an input to the ECM that's improper. I what, just have to see the wiring diagram on it. What time of day does this happen? All day? All night? During the night? During the day? Have you um, noticed? Any pattern? It happens, I, I believe, more at night, but I've certainly seen it during the You've day. You've seen it? Okay. In the in, in bright light. And it would probably okay. be more noticeable during at night, night so right. because you're seeing lights. During the day, you may not notice them. Uh, I would have to go to a wiring diagram yeah. and see what things can bypass the switch. In other words, they don't rely on ignition A or ignition B to fire the lights, and there probably are things. Trace those circuits and see what are, what's in them, and there may be a lighting control relay. I'm just not sure. I know on the little Trailblazer series there's a lighting control module that can do that, but I'm not sure on the Silverado. I just thought it might be a common problem. No, it's not at all. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it on, on that particular vehicle. All right, well, thank you. Okay, man, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. 499-9526. We're going to take one more little quick break and be right back with more. Hey, Clint, what's that? Take a look. It's my bucket list of things to do before the world ends. Okay. According to the Mayan calendar, the world goes kaput on December 21st, 2012. I got lots to do, neighbor. Uh, bog snorkeling? Punch a whale? Compete in the World Toe Wrestling Championship? I see Meet Julia Roberts is scratched off. Yeah, got her autograph, too. Really? Well, it's on the restraining order. Hey, shouldn't repair my car be on the list? 
What? Your, your brakes, they're constantly squealing, it shimmies and shakes and leaking oil all over I the think I can make it to December. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. Hey, um, isn't this one here illegal? Not in Tijuana, my friend. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O well, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. I got my lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 499-9526. Got all our lines wide open and still got several minutes to go. Yeah, we got time to answer two or three more questions. You got it. You just go ahead and give us a call. I guarantee we'll get you up there and get you answered. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking during the break about this article that I'm putting together. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag right. ahead of time. But there was a very significant event in automotive history. Most people, when they think of automotive history, they think of Detroit and all that, maybe Springfield, Massachusetts. Right, Those and this is kind of... This is in New York City. Okay. And there were actually two significant events back around the turn of the century in New York City, and I'm writing an article on that subject. In fact, I'm going to actually take off Columbus Day weekend. We're going to fly up to New York because i got to do a little bit of research up there right. some of the archives and stuff. And hopefully it'll be a real good article, but just kind of a little, let's call it a teaser. <laughs> Get you ready for that. So see if you can figure out what those events were. There you go. We're going back to our phone lines with Mike. Good morning, Mike. Hey, great. Appreciate you taking my call. Yes, sir. Y'all are awesome. Hey, look, I have a 2009 Sierra Crew Cab. Yes, sir. And when I stop and put it in park. Mm-hmm. The motor does. Okay. That okay. happened to me like three times now. What you need to do, Mike, is look at the tachometer when this starts to occur and see if the RPM are dropping down below a certain point. The most common thing, Mike, particularly if you've had, let's say, the battery replaced recently. And I haven't. Okay. It, the engine can lose idle function under certain conditions. Something like a loose battery cable can do that. Even a weak battery can do that. Even a weak battery. Because, you see, people say, well, the battery's fine. It cranks over good. But 10 volts will spin that motor like a house of fire, but it will also clear the memory on the computer because the computer requires 12 volts. It doesn't know what to do with any voltage less than 12. Right. And it confuses it, so it can lose its memory of idle function. Now, when that happens, it's going to fail to idle. And when it fails to idle, it's going to die. And it may learn it as you drive during the day, so it may not do it anymore after that. But next time you start it, if the voltage drops below a certain point, it's going to lose it again. So as long as you're driving, you never notice it. But when you come to a stop, put it in park, the engine could die. That would be the simplest thing I can think of. And the fix for that would be to check the system voltage, make sure it's not going low. It may even set a code. It won't turn a light on, but it may set a code in memory we could find. And sometimes you have to actually go in and clean the throttle body to get to relearn because if the throttle body gets too dirty, it won't relearn readily. There is also a flash update for a problem similar to that that we can reflash the computer that helps without a good deal. But, see, that one doesn't have an idle control server or any of that. It has an electronic throttle body that controls all of that. And if you're not getting a check engine light and it's not doing anything else quirky, probably not going to be the throttle body. I'm assuming more likely it's something is low voltage in the system, a loose cable, something like that. Try retightening all of your battery cables. If you take the battery cable in your hand, Mike, and just kind of push on it a little bit, 
if you could turn that cable with hand pressure, it's too loose. Oh, okay. Okay. And tighten both of those good. The next step would be to get a professional to do a real load test, not a part store because they don't have the equipment it really requires to do a proper test on that battery. But batteries are like people. They die a lot of different ways. You know, some people just keel over dead. Other people drag out. Same thing with a battery. It could be weak and going down, losing capacity, dropping down below 10 volts, cranking. So that would be the next thing I'd look at. But watch your tachometer and see if the RPM is dropping below about 500 when this occurs. If that's the case, and most likely that is the problem. Yeah, because I've seen this truck when I first got it. I was watching my battery mm-hmm. charger, and I don't know if because of the way this switches from eight to four cylinders as you go, I would have the voltage drop way below 14. Yeah, and you got to watch, Mike. You can't really go too much by that because that okay. truck has actually six different charging strategies that it uses at different times. It's going to change its strategy while you're driving, the way that it charges the battery under several different conditions. One thing you could do also, if you put it in tow haul mode, it's going to go to maximum charge and see if it kicks way back up to 14 volts when you do that. But it has a lot of different strategies it uses under different reasons. You can't really watch that too much. See, when the vehicle's running, you're not actually reading battery voltage at all. You're reading the alternator voltage or system voltage. When you turn the key off and it's sitting still, that's when you're reading battery voltage. Oh, okay. Okay. Good deal. Can I ask you one more thing? You bet. It's on the same truck. Mm-hmm. I'm having trouble at my drive with the passenger window. Okay. When I use the switches on my driver's side, uh huh, and I put the window down, uh-huh. I can't put the window back up. Okay, only on that switch. Yeah, it's on. Well, yeah, because if I reach over and go to the passenger window switch, I can put it up. Yeah, I've changed a lot of those switches. Right. That master switch goes out quite a bit. And what happens on those things, Mike, because it's on the door, and when you open the door, let's say it's drizzling, rain, or whatever, it may get wet, so that'll run to the switch. That kind of stuff tends to take them out. I have changed a lot of switches. If you can run it up with the other switch, I would say almost every time it's going to be that master switch. Those are real easy to change, probably less than a half an hour, even if you never did one before. And you can buy it from any dealership. Just go in there and give them the VIN number off the vehicle. They'll get you the right switch. Just swap that switch out. That's almost always going to be the problem. Is it hard to change? You got to change all. the whole panel? No, you just change the switch. It pops out. Oh, okay. I'll have to look at that. It, it'll be all, all, right. all the little switches will be together in one little lump, you know, one little square box. Yeah, I, I don't know if you can get individuals on that one or not. I think they all come as one big switch. Okay, well, all great. Right. I appreciate it. Thank oh, you all. Okay, Mike. Help. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. All right, 499-9526. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we got a few minutes left, and we got Phil online. Good morning, Phil. Hey, good morning. Yes, good sir. Morning. I have a, a 2002 conversion fan. It's a Ford. Uh-huh. I want to keep forever and ever and ever. Okay. I've got uh, 100,000 miles on it. Okay. What should I do for my transmission? I would service it, Phil, if you hadn't already. It's a 2002 model? Yes, huh? Yeah, I would service it. It should have a 4R70W, which is a pretty decent unit. It just needs to have the fluid and the filter change every so often on it. Fairly straightforward. I mean, we have not seen a lot of trouble out of that transmission at all. One of the better ones that they ever built. Well, good. I haven't gone too far then with 100,000 miles. Well, it'd be better if you'd have done it at 50, but, you know, it's like anything else. kind of like smoking. Yeah. It's better if you never smoked at all, but if you quit at 40 years old, you're still a lot right. better off than a guy who doesn't quit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, great. Thanks. All right. Okay, thanks, man. Bye-bye. Boy, I tell you, good show. Great show. Bunch, bunch of callers, and we still got a couple of minutes. If you got something else you'd like to get answered, this would be the time to call. Kind of a fallacy that we used to hear a lot. Folks would always say, well, if you haven't serviced your transmission – in X number of miles, then don't service it because it'll make it go bad. Right. That's ridiculous. It can't possibly happen. (laughs) 
It's like saying I hadn't brushed my teeth in six months, so I ain't yeah, ever brushed them again. Yet. Yeah, no, you can never do it. No, you can't. A proper service can never, ever, ever hurt a transmission. And proper being the key word. Yeah. Proper service. There are improper services, and there are people who probably shouldn't be doing services at all that are doing them. Right. They can go in there and knock a wire off, go in there and put the wrong fluid in it and create problems, and you don't want that. But bringing it to a professional, getting a proper service can't ever hurt the vehicle, even at any mileage. I think we got time to take maybe one more. Kyle, Curtis, make it quick. Yes, sir. Good morning. I got an O2 Chevy Tahoe that uh-huh. started giving me the low coolant line, added okay. some coolant to it. And then probably like a week later, it's asking me again for more coolant. Yes, when, when I pour it in, I don't see it dripping anywhere. I don't see any leaks. Right. I'm going to tell you um, the two most common places on there, Curtis, and neither one of them will drip too much. One of them is the water pump gaskets. Is that a 5.3 liter? Yeah, 5.3. Yeah, check the water pump gaskets. The water pump itself usually doesn't leak. The gaskets do. And I just changed the gaskets because the pump that's on there is better than the pump you're going to get when you buy another one. You'll have to get underneath it, take the shield off, and get in there with a light and maybe a mirror. And, and look, look up from look the bottom. From the but bottom. see, it runs down that hot engine block, and it just evaporates it, so it doesn't ever drip off right. the engine. So that's number one. If that's not it, that particular engine is in that range where they can crack the cylinder heads. They had those cast tech heads. And if that's the case, you need to get that diagnosed by a professional. If there's absolutely no leaks on the outside, you need to bring it to someone who knows what to do and have them check it because the cylinder head will crack internally in the valve cover area. Right. And what will happen, the coolant will go into the oil. And you okay. can get quite a bit of coolant in your oil and not see it, but it will wipe the engine out pretty fast. Okay, yeah, I, ch- I change the oil quite often, and it, it's always come out black. I yeah, seen. it won't necessarily get milky, though. Modern oil doesn't always do that. Go on my website, and there is an article on that topic, which will give you a whole, whole lot more information. And I'm sorry, we're just completely out of time. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning, every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week also. Tell your friends and go to iTunes and give us a rating. That's right. We're at 48. We sure want to hit 50. So That's it. give us a couple of ratings. We will really appreciate it. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.